Hello and welcome to the official Copper and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining me are my co-host, Shona Hickmore. And for the second week in a row, Gerard Murray will appear on the podcast in place of Corey Travers, who wasn't able to make it. How are you guys doing today? It's cold. <laughs> yeah, make, cold. You know, if, if the hockey team's going to suck, the weather at least shouldn't, so... Yeah, well, we're in Edmonton, where usually for about like 12 years, both of them sucked, so... You know what? We've had some pretty... <laughs> Pretty nice winters, all things considered. At least so, I, I wish it would at least look nice outside. It's it's cold and it's also just like dead grass and no snow. It's just depressing. your grass is dead. Mine is still green in patches. What season do you think you're in? Well, you know what else is looking pretty bad and ugly lately are the Edmonton Oilers. Um, they've lost two in a row the first time this season. They had three games this past week. They opened it up pretty positive. They beat the Penguins 5-2 last uh, Sunday, I believe, or Stay. Wednesday. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know when it was. Last Wednesday. And then um, they went into Seattle, dropped a 4-3 decision to the Kraken, and then came back home. And Adam Larson got to score against them. Yes, yeah. that dreaded Oilers, former Oilers curse continued over in Seattle. And then on Sunday, the LA Kings came into town and absolutely throttled the Oilers 5-1. Although, although it was 2-1 with like seven minutes left and McDavid got a major penalty. Five minutes and out of the game. And LA got three goals on that uh, penalty. So maybe a little closer than the score um, would make you think but they still didn't play that well. And the hot topic around oil country right now has been the team just not being able to start the game on time. It seems like the last three games, especially the Oilers, even in that 5-2 win against the Penguins, were getting absolutely throttled by the Penguins. Um, they were lucky to come out of it into the, and, and get the win in the third period, but they weren't so lucky against Seattle and LA. So the hot debate right now within my Twitter sphere, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, is whether to blame this on the players or the coach. And for me, it seems pretty, pretty obvious. It's the job of a coach to get his team ready and, and ready to play on time, especially. So where you guys land in this debate? Well, it's kind of going towards Tippett comment, Tippett's comments where it's, he's saying something like, we knew this game was coming, you know, we couldn't rely on special teams all year and stuff. But as a coach, if you know, it's coming, don't you prepare your team? Like if you know, it's coming, it's your job to know how to mitigate that. And obviously it hasn't worked. Yeah. Oh, it's your job if you're any good at your job. And, you know, uh, the super negative Copper and Blue podcast hasn't thought uh, Tippett's been particularly good at his job this year. Um, to be fair, I think that there's enough blame that you can share it around because, you know, uh, yeah, a coach should have things in or, you know, systems and, and uh, coping mechanisms in place for a team. But at the same time, it's not like these are Timbits. They, um, they're all professionals who've been, you know, playing hockey in a, at least semi-professional capacity for quite a while. So I always, I'm always like, if you are getting paid a stupid amount of money um, to do something that you supposedly love more than anything else, um, and you can't be bothered to like be ready to go for it, you know, um, that's also a thing that I think is why people are like, well, is it the players, you know, because it is, it's really easy to look at it and be like, this is your job. Like, I'm not allowed to show up 
you know, halfway through my job and be like, oh, sorry, 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 you know, um, we'll try better next time, you know, um, but apparently hockey players are, but sports is a weird world that's different than the regular world. So, um, yeah, I think there's probably enough blame in that situation for everybody. Yeah, for but. sure. I think I think you're onto something there. It, it is a little bit on the players as well, but you also have to look at how the lineup is constructed on night to night basis. It seems like almost consistently, um, Dave Tippett trots out a lineup that is not the most optimal lineup. Right? You have oh. guys like Zach Cassie moving up to the the first line and and oh, uh, dressing Kyle Curtis for what multiple. Point here games. did I say he was making it easy on the yeah. players to show up and do their job? I never said he was. I think that he's making this harder for no conceivable reason. But I do think that um, the players still, you know, and for me, it's not so much even the losing, but that delightful thing that Oilers players sometimes do where they stop playing the hockey or they don't start playing the hockey. We've talked about this before, where it's a 60 minute game and you need to play 60 minutes. Right. Like 100 percent, if they were playing 60 minutes and their matchups were bad because Tippett's uh, fuck it, fucking with the lines, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and giving them bad matchups and putting Zach Cassian to be an anchor on the first line where he has no business being. And that was all it was. A hundred percent. It's on Tippett. But then you see players like Zach Cassian who are being given, being given this chance to do something that they apparently love to do and is super, you know, um, motivating for them, et cetera, ad nauseum. Um, and they don't even look like they want to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah. so that part is on the players, you know, if you don't want to be there and you look like you don't want to be there and I can tell through my TV that you look like you don't want to be there. Well, either fake it better or find somewhere you do want to be or, the Oilers need to find someone who wants to be there, right? Yeah, that's the thing. The one thing that puzzles me beyond belief is uh, the amount of people that come to Zach Cassian's defense as someone that you you need that type of guy in the playoffs. You need that energy. Oh, and yeah, so far this like, season, I haven't uh-huh. seen – he might have the least amount of energy I've seen in an NHL player all year long. Like, he's just I not think... doing anything out there. I'm not sure if I've ever seen an, a single player get as much rope to work with as Zach Cassian has based on a two-game stretch four years ago. Yeah, it is absolutely insane that people are still harking, harkening back to that 2017 playoff run where, like you said, it was only two games. Like, if you look at the broader picture, he didn't really have a great playoff either. It was just a stretch of two games where he, he popped off. But I mean, to be fair, Darnell Nurse comparatively has gotten that much rope from everybody in Edmonton, um, not like Zach Cassian, but compared to the other defensemen, like he's had a similarly large amount of Oh yeah. Space to be fucking about. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not that, you know, it's just Zach Cassian uh, for whatever reason, Oilers fans, Oilers media, Oilers in general have players that are their, their players and doesn't matter what they do. They're not going to call them. And it always strikes me as funny because some of these guys that are, you know, how to say this somewhat respectably, um, 
you know, holding up Zach Cassian as this paragon of hockey virtue are the same guys that were shitting on McDavid for not having a enough back check, you know, a year and a half ago. So it's not even necessarily about hockey ability because McDavid is understandably like five classes, you know, above everybody else and charitably like 15 above Zach Cassian. So um we are reaching that point where I'm afraid that like people are going to even start getting mad at Connor McDavid because he can't run through an entire team every single game to fix an issue. Yeah. Like well it was funny because um Oilers Twitter when he got when McDavid got the penalty and was then you know this or removed from the game against the Kings, everyone was like, well, how are the Oilers going to come back without McDavid? I don't know. Maybe one of the other guys, they pay millions of dollars to play hockey can do it. Yeah. When, when, when we're simultaneously banging the drum that the Oilers are 16 and seven and they should be fine. But when one player goes out and I know that one player is Connor McDavid, but still, if you're a top team, one injury to any player shouldn't like basically cement your, your, your fate in losing. Right. So (laughs) It's it's kind of weird to see people bang both drums because they're they're not they don't go together, but they do. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I guess to some people they do. But yeah, it's obvious that the the Oilers are falling into the thing they've fallen into the last seven years when when with Connor McDavid in the lineup, where if he's not on or Drysdale's not scoring, team's probably losing, and they're they're scoring still, and they're they're still doing their thing, and the team is still finding ways to shoot themselves in the foot. I think. Um, against Seattle, especially, it was um, just poor defense, like absolutely god awful defending by Chris Russell and Tyson Berry. And when you have Chris Russell and Tyson Berry in this lineup, where they're probably the most veteran defensemen that you have, and they're getting outplayed by guys like Marcus Niemelainen, Philip Broberg, like guys with less than ten games in the league, like you gotta you gotta do something there. Like, how are you going to continue playing Russell? a night after he basically throws the game for you. See, and this, yeah, this makes no also sense. frustrates me because comparatively Broberg looks freaking amazing. You know, yeah. he's had a good stretch, but comparatively looks freaking amazing, which is something that super frustrates me because listeners of the podcast are well acquainted with my opinion that he should still be in the AHL. The Oilers should have built a deeper defense so that their defensemen actually have time to develop because now Broberg is in the middle of, you know, and he had a great few games, he's had a great few games. So now when he has an awful game, like they're, it's going to be a massacre. You know, we saw this with Bouchard last year. We've already kind of seen the, the, that be kind of sewed in the media here. I think it was Kurt Levens. Um, I have no problem name dropping Kurt Levens. He knows who I am on Twitter. Um, <laughs> um, we've already seen in his latest nine things article, which we want to have a good laugh. Go, go, go have, have a look at some of his takes, but he said, Chris Russell, Chris Russell was the guy that was more dependable and more reliable than Philip Broberg. And I'm like, dude, I don't know where you're watching these games, but that, that can be further from the truth just from this like four game sample size. So it's, it's, it's already there. They're already not giving Broberg enough credit for how good he's been so far. No, but what I, I'm not worried about the credit so much as I'm worried about the Nile Yakupov effect where you yeah. go and destroy, or the Jesse Puyarvi effect where you go and destroy a promising young talent. Because mm-hmm. guess what? You don't have 
you've got some decent defensemen, but you don't have a bunch of, you know, potential star defensemen. And let's be clear, I'm on the fence still as whether or not Broberg is going to be long-term, you know, a top pairing defenseman. But the Oilers don't have enough even potential long, you know, first pairing defensemen to go around massacring what they have in its infancy, basically. Speaking mm-hmm. of which, uh, Carolina is in town this weekend. Oh, speaking yeah. of which. Thanks. You know, the, the salt. <laughs> you you are new here. You need to let go of the salt shaker. I know that's <laughs> twice twice in two uh, shows now that I've mentioned Ethan Bear, but I mean it's hard to topical, too, though, man. Right? It's, it's topical. He's such a good, he's such a good young top four defenseman. He's played most of his time beside uh, Slavin there on the top pairing. It's and then you look at where Fogel is, and I like Fogel the player still. I still like Fogel. He struggled earlier this year, but my cat doesn't like him. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, I don't want anyone to misconstrue this as me hating on Fogel because I liked Adam Marson too. I just didn't like the trade that got him here, and it's similar here. Um, That's totally totally fair too. Yeah, um, and yeah, I think uh, that there's an understanding. Just a guy that a guy that we could like imagine the the right side of the fence with Evan Bouchard. And Ethan Bear there. Like, it just solves so many problems for the Oilers right now. I think right defense might be their weakest spot now. I don't think they have three right-handed defensemen on the roster right now. I think either Russell or Broberg are playing their offside most nights. So uh, Russell was playing third-pairing right side last game. Yeah, yeah. so they don't even have a, a full, like, lineup of right-handed defender, defenders with, like, what, one injury to that side? Yeah. Or a few? Like, it's... It's a sad state of affairs and crazy that we went from a wealth of riches on the right side to to absolutely bare, barely anything other than Bouchard and, and CeCe, I guess, who, no, to his credit, has been pretty decent so far. But Oh, okay. Preston, damning people with faint praise again. <laughs> well, I mean, the guy's been playing with Duncan Keith, and I, I thought he would, like, Keith would tank that pairing, but... Uh, CC has been doing some heavy lifting there, much more than I thought he'd be able to do. So I can give him credit there. Um, I'm just saying with the damning and the faint <laughs> praise, and again with the damning and the faint <laughs> praise. Um, yeah, and um, it's, it's another interesting spot that I've seen so far is the Oilers' power play hasn't been firing on all cylinders like it has in, in early, earlier in the season here. And it's, yeah, because that was not sustainable. Yeah, and I, I tweeted that out earlier in the year that the – the Oilers were winning and I was like, that's good. But if you look at the way they're winning, it's, it's the goalies standing on their head and the Oilers having a 50% power play. Like that's not going to last throughout the season. And now we're seeing our first real little dip with our special teams and we're not winning because of it. And Tippett said it, but it's up to Tippett to, to get that going again or to, to, to find other ways to win. I feel like it's a cop-out answer to be like, Oh yeah, we saw it coming, but we didn't do anything about it. Like you, you can't just say that you got to do something. Uh, it just it's so frustrating. No. You're sitting on the train tracks and you say, "Oh, a train is coming." Yeah, exactly. And then right? you wait, and then yeah. you, you get it by the train. Yeah, yeah. Hello. Makes no you, sense. You've all been Oilers fans for a bit. I know. Why are we still surprised by these things? <laughs> I know. We you should say I was surprised. <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised. Preston at all. sounds a bit surprised. I just give this team. I'm. I haven't been fans of Tippett, Tippett and Holland for quite some time, but I just. I know you keep I think getting in Twitter do... fights with people. <laughs> Stop doing that. Um, I, I, one change I would like to see, and it's a small change, just to maybe spark that special teams up again, is 
let's see Evan Bouchard take over Tyson's Berry's spot on that power play. Bouchard has been fantastic this season. He's outscored Tyson Berry despite having no power play time. Why not just try it for a few games? It, the power play is struggling right now. Just try it. Literally it's nothing to lose awesome. besides more games, which they're doing anyway. So I mean, yeah, yeah, right. I, I don't think All Nurse right. is the right guy there. Barry does work there sometimes. Lately, he's been absolutely horrible. Um, give give the young guy a shot. See how he does. It's, he's got a good supporting cast there. I doubt he he fails there. And he's been hot lately as well. So may may as well capitalize on it while you can. I don't know what this logic that you're speaking is, Preston. But we've covered this before, that it and the Oilers are like parallel lines that should never touch. So I don't know how you think that the logical choice is going to get made here. I don't, I don't know how much we can fault Tippett for um, not putting Bouchard on the power play. That is Gullitson's um, forte. So maybe some more yeah, hate well, should be directed there. Not hate, but like... You still, as a head coach, can be yeah. like... Hey, I think let's we're trying this because I'm the head coach and I say so. Yeah. Speaking of uh, speaking of coaching, speaking of more coaching for the Oilers, I think there has to be a real hard look at um, how this defense is coached because I think I, I cannot count how many times I've seen guy, especially Darnell Nurse. Darnell Nurse is a bad offender of this. I don't know if it's a personal thing for him that he's just doing it, or if it's a coach thing because it certainly seems like a coach thing. But the way he backs in to the zone and allows shooters to have so much time to walk into the slot and shoot while acting as a screen to his own goalie is insane. <laughs> like, I, th- I seen someone on Twitter be like, I, I don't believe that Darnell Nurse, uh, as mob- a mobile skater who is really good on his feet, like, does this purposely. It has to be coached. So um, I can't remember I the know. name of the defensive coach. Do you got that, Gerard? Yeah. Um no, you're absolutely right. It's it's weird to see someone who's has just hasn't really played like that at mm. all do it so often now. And I don't know if Jim if Jim Playfair like he basically yeah. runs the defense. Yeah. So I don't know if it's just one of his his quirks. Um, I don't know who was on the ice for that Kemp, the second LA Kings goal, the Kempe goal. I don't remember who that was. It might have been Nurse. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, just like you said, backed in like an impeded shot goes over Koskinen, uh, was it Koskinen's shoulder? And I don't remember. It was under the arm, I think, of Koskinen. Or under the arm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, just stuff like that where it's like, yeah, it's exactly right. They're just letting these solid chances come just off the rush unimpeded, right? Mm-hmm. And I've seen it not just in that L.A. game, but all year long. And I, more often than not, it's Nurse. But I've also seen guys like like Barry Russell. I think I've seen everyone get walked like that. So it seems like it's a coaching issue. Um, if not, it's should be addressed by the coach because it's pretty obvious um, bad gap control. Like I played minor hockey and they taught me not to do that when I played defense for a few years. So I feel like they should be teaching that at the NHL level as well. But um, who knows? Who knows? Um. Anyways, I think that's going to do it for our first half of the show. When we come back for the second half, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the musical chairs that should be happening on the Oilers defense when Duncan Keith and Cuckoo come back from injury. They got some young guys there, and there's got to be an odd one out. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that after these messages. All right, and we're back. Uh, We left off talking a little bit about the Oilers' defensive struggles and whether coaching is to blame. And we're going to stick on the topic of defense, which I know if you're a listener, you're probably groaning at that, but (laughs) 
we talk about the fence every episode. But like, dad is, is sitting here going, you've done this already like 12 I, times. Most of the time they create the talking point. So, and there's, there's a, there's always something to talk about when it comes to the Oilers defense and it's usually negative, but uh, um, there's bound to be some roster moves um, coming up in the next few weeks here as Duncan Keith and Slater Cuckoo return from injury and the Oilers will have to send down a player or two. Um, but right now, I think all of those players that they've put there in, in replacement of their regulars has performed well for at least one or two games. Uh, William Legison, who I'm not a big fan of as a prospect, he played pretty decently against the uh, Vegas, I think it was, or against Pittsburgh. Um, Broberg has been fantastic since the call-up. And Nimalainen, I think he's been the weakest of the three, but he's um, definitely has his fans already in Edmonton after laying the, a few devastating hits in that Pittsburgh and LA game. So um, who, who you guys got as the odd man out here? Oh, I think I know the answer actually. I think it's Lagason to be honest. Yeah. I think um, that the Edmonton organization, like every hockey organization doesn't particularly like being called out, especially by the people that work for them. Um, so I think he's odd man out and I think he's gone back to the AHL and not back this year, to be honest. Yeah. Right. Uh, NHL hockey clubs are notoriously petty. Please see the Marc-Andre Fleury saga in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and whose agent was that again? Alan Walsh. <laughs> Same as last. <laughs> I've already seen a few photos of uh, Legas in Photoshop with the sword going through him. So. It did um, seem like fairly aggressive after just a single game, especially mm-hmm. like given the circumstances of like, it's a player, like it's one of your major players coming back from injury, game time decision, whatever. It's not like it was just a, a the line of choice that like he knew about all day and then decided right before to tell him. It's like, this was purely spur of the moment. So it just seems really aggressive from Alan Walsh. Like I think. Yeah. That, that's kind of his forte though. He's, he has a history yeah. like that. We talk a little <laughs> yeah. bit about flurries had the similar type of situation over in Vegas, but uh, uh, it, it must be a testament to something though. Like I feel, I feel like it's weird for a player agent to do something like this for one of his lesser known clients, you know? Mm-hmm. So there something must've happened between Tippett and Legacy that really rubbed everyone the wrong way and incited that much. So I'm, I'm curious what the whole story is there. Alternately between Tippett and Walsh. Mm-hmm. It might have very little to do with Legacy, but it yeah. might be a convenient, uh, like, you know. Oh, now this is a convenient way to get ground back, right? Mm-hmm. This, I, I've, yeah. I've seen Hockey some politics rumors. seem like freaking going back to high school to me. It's like <laughs> uh, rumors, and, you know, he said, he said, and, you know, like yeah not enough women in the the upper echelons of hockey for a he said she said so it's a he said he said <laughs> but uh you know very very difficult to parse anything that's actually happening yeah no and and i heard rumors that legison okayed that to go out but then again it's not confirmed so i can't really look at the situation from that perspective but um you know what i i didn't expect it to happen I didn't uh, didn't see this one coming at all, but uh, if William Legison is gonna conduct the fire tippet train, I, I'm I'm right behind him. I wasn't a huge fan of him before, but if he gets tippet fired, 
I'm all for it. <laughs> Again, I don't think it'll be Lagos and like, if Tippett gets fired or is conducting the train. I think it's Walsh. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm not sure it'll do anything but tank Lagos's career. Because if yeah. he becomes known as a problem player in the room. Yeah, he doesn't have as much, uh, as much room as Flurry. Right. So, right. Yeah, well, and, here. you know. Edmonton is particularly uh, aggressive against people that they feel are, are problematic in the room. See Taylor Hall, you know, it's fall from grace from like first round save first round first overall pick um, in the draft savior of the franchise to well he was such a problem in the room we had to trade him for Adam Larson, right? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, yeah, I think it'd be being nice. a problem in the room in Edmonton. I think it'd be naive for me to sit here and be like, this is the thing that will get Tippett fired. It won't be. The the history with this organization is that they give their coaches quite a bit of leg room, unless your name is Ralph Kruger, um, to to turn the the ship around. And uh, Dave Tippett is no different. The more more likely um, scenario out of this is either Legison is down in the minors or he's shipped off somewhere else. And I wouldn't be surprised. Or, 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 or A and then B. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, is is probably is probably going to be that. I don't expect this to spark any major movements. So that kind of narrows it down to Nima Linen and Broberg left onto the roster right now. Um, I know there might be a section of the fan base seeing those hits by Nima Linen and saying that's what we need more of. But I think Broberg's the obvious choice here. I think he's played fantastic. He moves the puck well. He's been better than I expected in his, in his defensive zone. Um, why not uh, give him some? third line pairing minutes for a little bit and then move him up to that second pairing near, near the midway point of the season and have him replace Keith and give Keith less minutes. I mean, it, the guy, because the guy I don't is struggling trust with the Oilers defensive coaches at the NHL level. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Gerard, that's true. Gerard, can you rain on Preston's parade for a minute? Oh, oh I kind of like just sitting back and like listening to this. This is entertaining. Oh, I don't know about Broberg <laughs> playing with Playfair. You've already caused me enough problems. Go right on Preston's parade for a I love I love Broberg's play, but you're right. I don't know if a year subjected to Jim Playfair's coaching is a good idea for him, especially when he could begin coached by Dave Manson, who has been fantastic with the Bakersfield Condors in the past few years with defensemen. Uh, uh, that's a hard one. I want him up in the big leagues, but... It's, yeah, it's a tough call. It's it's, it's stuck call. in a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Yeah, it might be good for the long term for him to go back down, but if the alternative is me seeing Chris Russell every night, I might bite on him being here the whole year. If he's up uh, here, Chris can teach him how to block shots. Oh, my God. 2,000 times. How many times have we heard problem. about that this week? Oh, my 2, God. 2,000 times. I feel like that's... Every second sentence on every broadcast now is about Chris Russell's shot blocking record. Sorry, how many times did he block a shot? My birth year, 1999, isn't it? Is that, is that the record? Uh, it is the record, and then he extended it. But yeah, that was the record setting block. Oh my goodness. Um, it says, so on, I wish it says so on his belt buckle. And his cowboy hat. And, and his cowboy and- hat. 15 different, you know, like graphics produced by the NHL, the <laughs> NHL PA and the Oilers media teams. Um, I seen, I like, I reference a lot of people on Twitter here and I wish I could give them credit, but I can never, I can never find the tweet. I, uh, I'm referencing, but someone had a fantastic analogy for blocking shots and it's like blocking shots is like killing rats. It's good when you do it, but if you're doing it all the time, there's 
there's probably a bigger problem you should address. And I think that's a, the perfect analogy to describe shot blocking in the NHL. Um, it's on the ice for too many shots against, man. It's not, not that great of a thing. The other thing I always think um, shot blocking is, um, you know, it's what, like you said, Preston, it's great. Um, you know, high value chances not getting through is great. But shot blocking to me is an inherently dicey kind of, situation because if a player blocks a shot wrong you know we've seen in the last years you know oh he went to block a shot and hit his foot now his foot's broken and he's out for like five weeks right Mm -hmm. like um as a method of oh we just seen it with nurse he broke his finger yeah as a method of you know preventing a high uh value shot against it has like a lot more risks than, you know, just being well positioned. Yeah. It's also one of those things where it's like, I wouldn't mind if it was not the only thing that he is known for. Cause another player that blocked shots often, like all, not quite to his degree was Oscar Clefbaum, but you'd never hear it from anybody because he's too busy contributing in better ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a, a bad thing to just be known for shot blocking as a defenseman. Cause a lot of the job as a def- defenseman is making sure the puck's not in your zone. And uh, Russell is well. I've seen some analytics come out that actually Chris Russell is our best puck mover. Don't know which analytic said that, but oh, um, yeah, that was zone and or zone exits, I believe. Yeah, zone exits is. <laughs> I don't know how that's calculated, but I, I I I'm usually a big analytics guy, but I'm having a hard time to believe that one. So hey, I mean, do you know that you can make numbers say just about anything. If you try hard enough, it didn't say how the puck exited the zone. It could just be bouncing off a shin pad or icing. I have seen someone else say that it could be just icings, which is not a good play to get the puck out of the zone, by the way. Unless you're on the penalty kill and then it's okay. Yeah. Unless you're there. But everywhere else. If you're on the penalty kill, golf, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've seen. I got into an argument with someone, a Leafs fan, because it's fun to argue with Leafs fans on Twitter. Um, uh, You're an adult person that doesn't need uh, to be doing these things. Like, <laughs> I like the I like the arguments, um, especially when they're really easy arguments and they're just layups for me to to win. I I will go into them. You I'm will not never afraid of win an argument with a Leafs fan. Um, they tried to tell me something about even strength points and how. Um, believe it was Michael Bunting or something is getting more points than, or it might be Matthews too, but I think it was Bunting on the Leafs was getting just as many five on five points as Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. Yeah. And um, I was like, man, you have to look at the even strength points. Cause when you look at even strength points, McDavid and Dreisaitl are a lot further ahead. And he was trying to argue with me that even the teams are not, are not on the ice as much for even strength as they are for not even strength. And I, I don't know, well, is this a gap? Depends, to be 100% <laughs> honest, I went to a junior game where in the first period, the Calgary Hitmen were at a one-person disadvantage for 14 of 20 minutes. That hasn't so... happened in the NHL, though. That's the thing. I don't know. I was having a hard time following this guy's uh, discussion, but uh, Michael Bunting is a, a god over there in, in Toronto, apparently, right now, so admittedly having a decent year but i i remember like kind of the same in the same vein of discussion something like michael bunting has as many even strength points as not zach hyman but someone or pull yarby or someone to that effect and the retort was 
Zach Hyman has double the even strength points as Austin Matthews at the moment, I think. <laughs> or there was something along that line. I'm not going to like say it for yeah, sure because those, yeah. those, I saw that one too, and it had something to do with how much money each player made based on how many even you know how much you were paying for their point production. Yeah, but I I don't know this whole discussion about when you're getting your points. Like, if I I feel like it doesn't. I guess it matters as for the team as a whole, but for an individual, if they have a lot of power play points, cool, that's good. I don't think that should take away from anything. Points are points in the NHL at the end of the day. So, don't yeah, know they don't, you know what points are, matter the most? If your team gets two at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's just a tangent I thought was funny that I, I had to argue. I didn't have to, but I decided to argue with over Twitter this past week. Yeah, Ross is not subdivided by even strength and power play points. So. Yeah. Um, all right. It's um, also not subdivided by goals. That's a different trophy. Power play so, points trophy. Let's go. You know, every <laughs> once in a while, you'll see people being like, well, you know, and Nugent Hopkins gets this a bit is, you know, well, he doesn't have as many goals. He's got too many assists, like too much, you know, his points are a lot of assists and even secondary assists. Well, the art Ross isn't subdivided by, you know, goals oh no he's only helping other players score goals oh shoot (laughs) yeah but you know what i mean like there's all these interesting arguments about the the validity of various points and and you know what points are better points to have but you don't have someone that's got all of them chances are you're not getting those two points at the end of the game (laughs) and if you don't have those you're not going to the postseason I can't really think of, of any other real like hard hidden topics we can talk about, but about the Oilers, but, uh, but it's been kind of a crazy week over in our division as well. Um, we've seen Vancouver um, clean in house finally after firing um, GM. Were you allowed to fire that many people all at once? I, if Vancouver can do it, then I hope Edmonton can do it too. I'm just saying they got their GM, their assistant GM, their head coach and an assistant coach in one day. Pretty early on in like the Shanahan era era of the Leafs, like they cleaned out like 25 scouts or something stupid like that right before the draft. Like they did a full clean sweep. Yeah, but scouts are different than like your front most. Well, I think it was like the Lamorello era must have started around the same time. Same with like Babcock. Like it was a it was a pretty big sweeping change all in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I believe you're right there. Um, there's, there's like staff on teams that are super important, like scouts, but that, um, fans don't see as much. Right. So if your team's got shitty scouting, well, yes, it's going to show up, um, see the Oilers about seven years ago. Um, but when your team's got a GM, that's making questionable choices, that's really easy for really easy individual for fans to be like this is our problem whereas you know the scouts are like who 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 right so you can generally clean house of scouts though not 25 25 is a lot of scouts <laughs> um that's like a troop um uh with less like fan fervor than like a gm or a head coach right yeah um yeah it's really easy to to pin it on just one of those figureheads right but um 
I, I the Vancouver situation is so funny for me because I, I really wanted them to keep Jim Benning because I just love how how much he tried to force that team into being a contender after the bubble. Um, so it's sad that we won't see his antics anymore with the Canucks uh, to keep them bad in in our division. But uh, they they fire Travis Green as well, like uh, like Shona said there. They fired their head coach and they bring in Boost. Boudreaux, which is a guy I forgot existed. I forgot that guy coached in the NHL. So um, they won. I want to see how many times he says fuck. He's already he already has one. He already yeah. has one. He said it as he was I getting. No, but his, uh... even I have four in this podcast. He needs to stay. It's interesting because I think he was on the short list to be kind of like if the NHL doesn't go to the Olympics, he would have kind of been the reserve coach. So yeah. that option is basically gone now. Yeah, I didn't even think of that either. Yeah, shit. Well, and Philadelphia let Vigneault go, mm-hmm. um, too, right? I and saw, I- again, as Preston mentioned, uh, can't credit people on Twitter, but there was a tweet that said, like, the Montreal Canadiens can now assemble a super group of their fired coaches between, like, Therrien, Vigneault, uh, Julien, like, all those guys. Just keep them on one staff now. <laughs> oh, the French Canadian super coach group. I love that. It's a super something group. They would do that too. I love that. Um, so Boost Boudreaux comes in there. Um, they still haven't announced a uh, GM in Vancouver. Um, apparently, the rumor rumor has it, um, the team is interested in bringing in uh, newly available GM uh, Mark Bergevin, who was just fired from the Montreal Canadiens about a week ago as well. So Can that would be explain to me how this works he got fired for being bad at his job normally when you get fired for being bad at your job you have to go prove you're actually good at your no, job no 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 we're the another job it's, the it's a shame that there's only about 35 qualified people to be an nhl gm it's really a shame that no one else can ever crack that talent pool it's just they're all so good <laughs> what's right? gonna happen when they start dying oh don't, don't. Go down to like, 34 I don't know. <laughs> yeah, let's keep going down. It's same with head coaches. This is the same well, we forty head coaches teams. that circulate around. There's we... not there's there's not a lot of wiggle room. Once you get down to thirty one available prospects, <laughs> does some team just fly without a GM? I'm going to throw a name into the ring for Vancouver. I think he's a guy who's got um gotten uh, gotten a lot of uh, crap recently in recent years, and um, he's in St. Louis right now. I think this is another kick at the cam. Let's get old Peter Peter Shrelly back in the driver's seat i want to see him back in the pacific division give this guy another shot he's paid his dues yeah he's he's been on the sidelines long enough get old pistol pete back in akalini kind of sounds like shirelli so like you know maybe they'll have fun with that yeah they'll like have a concession stand named after themselves i I know you're both not serious i'm dead serious i want that to happen so much (laughs) (laughs) no no give him that team and we all we all know where Lucic is ending up next. Local well, boy, Local boy. This next anyway, is. since that's his hometown team, and ultimately where he yeah, should retire. There's so many angles there. We are we're already talking ourselves into that making sense. So. I see nothing wrong with this scenario at all. I see this so much be- wrong with it, but let's go with it. <laughs> okay, I get that. I gotta find that old photo of uh, someone finding Peter Shrelly and. Uh, Craig McTavish and you know, Tim Hortons here in in, in uh, Edmonton. In full sitting, summer gear, yeah. Full summer gear. Oh my God, legendary Edmonton Oilers photo. Um, 
Um, I, I think that's about all we got to talk about here in this week's podcast, unless I'm missing something. Predictions? Oh, yeah. Oh, that just... point where you say happy shit and I say realistic shit. I don't know if this week is going to be happy. I'm all looking right, at the schedule here. I don't think it's going to be happy. <laughs> um, I'll go first here. So tomorrow we got the, or I guess if you're listening to this on the first day, which is Tuesday, um, tonight, the Oilers take on the Wild at home. All these games are at home. It's a, They're in the midst of a six-game homestand here. So Wild on Tuesday night. We got the Bruins on Thursday night. And then the Hurricanes here are Saturday. Uh, I don't think they win against the Wild. I think the Wild are they're rolling, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let me check that out first. Big shootout win in Toronto after blowing a lead, or in Minnesota against Toronto after blowing a three-goal lead. Yeah, no, they're they're yeah, they're rolling right now on a one, two, three, four, five game winning streak here. So I think they're gonna come in. They're a hot team, they're a really good team. New others are kind of in some disarray here. So I think they lose against the wild. The Bruins, it could be close. I think the Oilers might have a, a good chance of taking that one out, so I'll give it to them. And then the Hurricanes are coming to town, and you guys know what I'm gonna say here. Ethan Bear is scoring against us, there's no doubt about it, and we're losing that game. So I'm gonna go one and two on the week. Preston, go get your own shtick. <laughs> I wanted to be the super negative one this time, actually. I think we're all, there's not room to be positive right okay. now. I'll preface mine by saying the Oilers will never lose again because I'm contractually obligated to say so. Yes. However, Thank you, Gerard. However. At least someone knows what a shtick is. <laughs> okay, but I'll, I'll drop that for a bit because uh, this will be my fun round. Uh, Tuesday, Cam Talbot shutout. Boom. Uh, six, <laughs> 60 saves. To beat Ben Scrivens is 59. Yeah. Uh, Thursday, Taylor Hall hat trick. Natural oh hat God, trick. There's a Oilers angle everywhere here. Heck yeah. Saturday, Ethan Bear levels Connor McDavid. Oh, I wish it was. <laughs> I wish it was Duncan Keith. Duncan Keith can come back in that game just to get injured and hit with. That'd be fun too, I guess. Ethan Bear fights Warren Fogle. Yes. Sure. That's How about what I'm that? talking about. <laughs> or Darnell Nurse. Darnell Nurse gets broken again, and then yeah. we don't have to Another figure out who's getting finger. sent down. Three breaks the finger. <laughs> no, right. like Preston, I think they're going one and two, and I think the only one they've got it. Uh, um, I think the one they have the best chance against is Boston. Um, yeah, I think Minnesota's always. I've been to a lot of Minnesota games, and Minnesota has always frustrated the Oilers. Um, they're fun yeah. now, though. Yeah, I, I, they were fun for me back in the day before they started trading, you know, key members of the team. We've <laughs> um, already been shut up by Devin Dumnik in a wild uniform. It's time for Cam Talbot just to finish the set. Huh. God, yeah, Minnesota's where Oilers goalies find themselves. Brisgolov did that nope. too. We got Rolson um, from there. Brisgolov went there. Got Stalock from there. Uh, ah, yeah, jeez. Oh, Dunick technically found himself in Arizona, which is why Minnesota traded for him to make a playoff push. But he found his way. He uh, he definitely spent the best part of his career in Minnesota. Um, so yeah, I, they've never played well against Minnesota. Um, you know, unless Devin Dunick was in net, and then hey, we could save a lot of time here in the Boston game by just trading for Jake DeBrus before the game. No, no. <laughs> 
Unless we that have means a, I don't have to listen to Louis DeBrusque on my commentary ever again because we, it's a conflict of interest. We can have a re- redo of the Dennis Grebishkoff trade to Nashville when we were about to play the Predators. He just crossed the hallway. And he scored twice. And he scored twice. Us. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> no, the only reason I would ever consider DeBrusque is then, you know, as we keep hearing, you know, is it a conflict of interest for him to call a team where his kid plays? If I don't have to listen to Louis DeBrusque on Oilers commentary, Maybe there's something in it for me, but not a lot. Um, and then I like I, hearing him say someone is injected into the lineup 20 times a game. I don't like his voice, period, let alone what he says. Aww, okay. uh, I'm biased. I grew up on the guy. I got a soft spot. I don't mind him. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I, I just, there are certain people that you listen to and you're just like, nails, chalkboard. I'm kind of the same. Is one of those guys for me. I'm kind of the same with Kevin Quinn, though. Like he, you, he obviously lost a step near the end there, but I, I, I grew up with the guy. He's a voice. So he of had my the childhood. voice. He had the voice. Yeah. yeah. And then I think, yeah, I think Carolina steamrolls the Oilers. I think that Carolina, you actually get to see the difference between a, a team that's art in an artificial bubble, and a team that's really well constructed. Yeah, they're so. a defend. They're a very good defensive team, and if anything the, frustrates the Oilers. But the other thing is they're not lacking offense. They're a very yeah. good defensive team and they haven't mortgaged their offense for it. So I don't know why the Oilers were insistent to be a good offensive team. We had to mortgage our defense, but yeah, they're pretty just... well built. Even if Ethan Bear wasn't there, I think they still beat us. It's they're a good, they're a good team this year. Definitely not in the pretender status as the Oilers might be heading towards pretty quickly here. And they're just the sassiest team in the NHL. <laughs> No yeah. one offer sheets like Carolina. <laughs> yeah, although I don't know, I don't know. I did. I thought that was kind of a Montreal win, but you know, I, I'm like the I like pettiness in the NHL. The more the more petty teams are, the more the more fun it is. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I thought it was hilarious to me because yeah. not one of those were my teams. I thought it was both funny and also Montreal got like what a first and a second for Kotkaniemi. I mean, like I don't know if, if they try to trade him, do they get that package kind of thing? Yeah, like. It's fun both ways. It was a good haul for Montreal, but it was also fun to see the pettiness come out of the NHL team. I don't know. I I liked Carolina since they decided that they were going to get in a fight with uh... Don Cherry. Yeah. Like I'm sitting there going, the guy in the suits. They're really ugly suits. (laughs) The guy was a little bit racist and had some national TV time. (laughs) Definitely xenophobic. Speaking of racist, I hope somebody walks Tony D'Angelo every single shift he's on. Yes, that's the one thing I'll, I hope McDavid just absolutely embarrasses D'Angelo. That would be nice. That would be really nice. <laughs> no sympathy for that man. I'm. So I feel like Tony D'Angelo is the epitome of the get out of jail free card that hockey players are given. Um, you know, he's. I think it was like for when he got sent down to the AHL last year, it was his fourth or fifth defense in the same, you know, category of offenses. So he's not even learning. He's just doing the same stupid shit. Well, I mean, I look at it and I think it's, I think it's a race thing for sure. In the NHL, you look at a guy like Tony D'Angelo who has consistently shown that he won't be better. And um, he's done some bad things. And you look at Evander Kane who has done some bad things. I'm not saying they're not bad things, but he's not white. You get he does it there, and he's he's on waivers oh, yeah. and wants to trade. So it's and there's also a xenophobic thing because you can get the Europeans and the Russians who are technically yeah. white, um, but they're not 
Canadian or North American hockey players. So they get a lot less rope as well. Yeah. I think it, it, hockey is a super interesting subculture. It's super a, it's interesting. A, subculture. Not a good culture. I never sure. said it was that's, good. I said it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right about that. Um, but that's a that we could do like four hours on that. So I think we'll end up. There are in fact here. podcasts that have done four hours on that. We can tell you about them next time. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so that's gonna do it for our show tonight. Uh, thank you to Shona and Gerard for joining on this podcast. Although Shona, you're here every week. Gerard, um, probably gonna become a regular on here if I'm if I'm being honest. Maybe. I am not here every week. I'm just here most weeks. <laughs> yeah, most weeks. Um, Corey needs to come back. We need, we need some of Corey's. On vacation. <laughs> we need some of Corey's uh, toxic positivity. That's what I'm gonna call it. The toxic positivity back. I can't also, fill that void. I'm sorry. Also numbers. <laughs> Corey's good with numbers. <laughs> I don't know if Corey's toxic positivity, but uh, he is during the prediction section. Um, all right, that's gonna do it for our podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>